You're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. For more sermons or information about our church, please visit ktnnaz.org or like Ketchikan Naz on Facebook. Well, good morning again. Um, you guys have New Year's resolutions? Anybody? Have you thought about it yet? Kids, you'll get there. Eventually, you'll get to a point where you'll have a New Year's resolution, and, uh, and then you'll get three weeks into the new year, and you won't have it anymore. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm, just, I'm just curious. Um, I'm going to give you guys, before we dive into the sermon, kind of a quick overview of where we're going for the next 76 weeks, okay? Um, we uh, are going to be in a series of Jonah. Uh, we're going to look at the book of Jonah for the next mm, two, three, four weeks. Um, it's a series called All In. Um, we talk about Jesus today, how he was all in. He was literally all in the flesh, all, in the, uh, all up in our messy lives, all in God's will. We have a model to follow after. We're going to be all in. We're going to look at Jonah the next couple weeks. Um, Jonah was all in, but he was all in in a different way, right? He was literally all in a whale. Um, and we are not supposed to live like that. And so we're going to look at the struggles with being a disciple of Christ that Jonah had. Hopefully we can learn something about ourselves Um, On February 16th, we're going to have our family meeting. It's the time of the year that we get to vote in new board members. We get to look at what God has done in the past and look forward to what God is doing in the future. So February 16th, mark your calendars for that. And then um, we will begin the series in Matthew, which you are all eagerly looking forward to. The series in Matthew, we will be there for give or take 76 weeks. So it will take us a year and a half to get through the book of Matthew, but it will be an exciting journey in which we follow along with Jesus to learn who he is and who he has called us to be. Uh, So if you have not got your sermon guide, then you can um, get that today, uh, or at least uh, reserve one today. We'll get those ordered and and into your hands soon. Um, So all of that, that's kind of where we're going. Now we'll dive into the word, which is why you guys are here this morning. Um, We have spent... uh, Four weeks preparing for Christmas, right? It's what we do every year, Advent. We light the candles around the Advent wreath. We prepare our hearts for Christmas. Um, And we spent four weeks preparing our heart for the birth of Christ. Um, In that, we also prepare our hearts for the second coming, right? Because we recognize that Jesus was already born. So we're not preparing ourselves to see a little baby in a manger somewhere. We're actually preparing ourselves for the second coming of Christ. And we spend a month in preparation for that. Um, And then there's this moment in time that we remember, that we set aside as special. It's the time that God, in all of his glory, entered into humanness, wrapped himself in flesh. He came into human history in a very physical way. And Christmas is the time of the season that Jesus was all in, right? There was a point in time where he was up in heaven, and he was working out this great rescue plan with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. How are we going to save the people? How can we bring them back into fellowship? They hatched this great rescue plan. Jesus would come to earth. But there's a point in time in all of our plans, right, where we think and we plan and we do the best that we can to prepare, and then there comes the moment where you either do it or you don't do it, right? You're either all in or you're not all in. You're either committed to the plans that you have enacted or you are not committed to the plans that you have enacted. And Christmas is the moment when Jesus says, I'm committed. I'm all in. All the chips are on the table. I'm going for this 100%. So he didn't halfway commit to saving the world. He counted the cost while he was sitting on his throne, and he said, 
This is worth it. Count me all in. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And that's the model that we have to live by. Jesus says we need to follow after this model of being all in. We need to take a moment and see what this looks like. Jesus came in the flesh, right? The word incarnation. He was in, in, carne, flesh, like chili con carne, okay? It's like chili with meat. Jesus with flesh is what the incarnation basically means. Um, He was all in the flesh, 100% God, wrapped himself in 100% flesh of man. And these two natures, man and God, simultaneously lived together in something called the hypostatic union, a fancy term which means God and man together as one being, okay? The God-man, Christ Jesus. But the God-man didn't stay a baby, right? He grew up. We don't worship the baby Jesus king. We worship the risen, ruling, reigning, with all authority, seated at the right hand of the Father, really awesome and powerful, face shining bright as the sun, Jesus, okay? Um, So he was all in the flesh, and he is now all in glory. He was also all in our messy lives, right? 100% in our messy lives. Um, He wasn't a religious person that... Um, kept to himself and said, I will not be tainted by those dirty sinners, right? The Pharisees lived like that, but Jesus didn't live like that. He chose to engage in the sinful, messy lives of those that he encountered. He encountered a lot of people, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the rich and the poor, the woman at the well, the lepers, the people that no one else would touch. They got exiled somewhere else. He even was all in for Judas, right? He spent years knowing Judas, discipling Judas, loving Judas, teaching Judas. He was all in. He was fully committed, even with the person who betrayed him. It's really important. Jesus didn't just give half his attention, half his healing powers, or half of his forgiveness. He sat with friends, shared meals with sinners, entered into the homes of people no one else would enter into. He engaged people's grief. He engaged people's joy. And he did it all because he was all in. He counted the cost when he was in heaven. He said, I'm all in for this. And he was also all in God's will, right? He grew up. He lived perfectly in submission to God's will for his life. He never sinned. And if the Spirit said, get up and go to the next town, he would... Get up and go to the next town. When the road was rough, following God cost him dearly, right? He was beaten, crucified. Jesus, even though it cost him his life, was still fully committed and fully submitted to the Father's will. He followed God's will to the cross, enduring our shame and the penalty of our sin so that we wouldn't have to. He was really all in. He counted you very valuable and he was all in for this rescue plan. Now, that's really well and good, but um, we sit back sometimes in Christianity and we go, it's so great that Jesus lived this perfect sinless life for me. And then he forgave me of my sins so that I can live a happy Christian life and do nothing kingdom worthy. Christ didn't save us so that we could be bumps on a log. It's not just enough that we get to enter into heaven. Well, that is a beautiful and glorious thing that we have saving knowledge through Christ to enter into heaven There's a little more to Christian living than that, right? Um, 
there's a little more to it. We are called to be all in as well. Jesus calls us to live a life after his example. We are to, as Jesus says, pick up our cross and follow after him. Um, You don't accidentally wake up one day and have the all-in character of Jesus Christ, right? This is something that you, um, you practice. It's something that you make a determined choice to live, and then day in and day out, you work to be all in. Day in and day out, you ask the Spirit to encourage you and to enable you to be all in for Christ. Um, look at Stephen for a moment, right? Um, he was the first martyr in Christendom. His story is in Acts chapter 7, I believe, and he lived a life that was all in, right? From the moment he met Jesus, Scripture says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He determined to live his life in one direction, and that was for the glory of God. So um, he, uh, in his life, was all in, and in his death, was all in, just like Jesus. He was filled with the Spirit. He preached the gospel boldly, and that infuriated the religious leaders of the day, just like Jesus is preaching did. So they incited other people to lie about Stephen, and he was arrested. Sounds a little bit like how Jesus was arrested. And then he preached during his trial. They asked him questions, and he preached the gospel boldly during his trial, knowing that during his trial he had this great opportunity to leverage that moment for kingdom. So he decided to do that, and then they decided to stone him for it. He said, we don't like what you're saying. We're going to stone you. And while they were stoning him, Stephen said what? Father, forgive them. Now, those, the quote from Jesus on the cross. You don't accidentally wake up one day and get persecuted for your faith or endure something very difficult or get wronged by someone at work or cut off by someone on the road or, you know, your spouse does something that infuriates you and your first response is usually not, Father, forgive them. It takes an effort, a desire to be in the Holy Spirit, to live this all-in life. And we don't default to all-in. We default to comfort. But Christ has called us to live all-in. We're called to follow the example of Christ as Stephen did. We're called to live this all-in life. And we sit just post-Christmas and just pre-New Year's, and it's the time of year that we make New Year's resolutions. We choose something to commit to for the following year. Not any longer, because that would be crazy. But just this year, we choose something to commit to, right? To get in shape, to eat less sweets, to watch less TV, to spend more time with the kids, to get organized, right? We all do this, and they're all great, right? I'm wearing a Fitbit now, because I realized after hunting with Jody and Jason, I am really not in shape, and I need to get in shape. So my New Year's resolution, I'm going to get in shape. Most of our New Year's resolutions, though, last, what, two months, maybe? Right? If we're honest, we have an all-in attitude for the first week, two weeks, a month, month and a half. If we're lucky, we'll get six months. But then we get into the old routine. We fall into our old habits. And that New Year's resolution just kind of falls away, which is why at the beginning of every year we say, my New Year's resolution this year is to get into shape, not like last year. And we tack on not like last year because we tried and we failed last year. We weren't all in for our New Year's goal. But when it really comes down to it, while New Year's resolutions are good, they are something that are, it's bound to earth, right? If you lose weight on earth, great, but you're not taking this same body to heaven. You'll get a glorified body. 
If you're trying to get organized in your cupboards and closets and household, that's great. You're not taking any of that stuff with you. So it's good to be organized, but there's really no kingdom value necessarily there. Um, when we look at New Year's resolutions, yes, embrace them. They are good for our body and our mind and our organization. But when it comes down to it, we need to live for the kingdom this year. So we don't just need to make earthbound resolutions. We need to have kingdom-focused resolve this year. And there's a difference between a resolution and a resolve. Resolutions tend for us to fade. A resolve is something that we say, I resolve that I will, and you follow through with it. Some of our four founding fathers wrote things like, we resolve that. And that's something that has stood the test of time. We need kingdom resolve this year. We need to be all in for Jesus in our faith, in our families, in our church. And to help us wrestle with what that might mean, what that might look like, we're going to look at Paul because he tends to just say things like they are. um, And he doesn't mince words. And so we are going to read from Philippians today, uh, chapter 3, verses 7 through 17. So if you would just stand with me to honor the reading of the word. And we will read 7 through 17. In chapter 3 of the book of Philippians, this is Paul speaking to us this morning. Whatever I gain, I had I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings and becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I will obtain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you as well. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. This is the word of the Lord this morning. You may be seated. All right. We're just going to break this down. What does it mean to be all in? What does it mean to be straining for the goal, to have that kingdom resolve, to not give up in the coming year? First, it means you need perspective. To be all in, you have to have a little perspective on this life that we live. Listen to how Paul puts it. Whatever I gain, I'd count as lost. In fact, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I suffer the loss of everything. And I count everything as rubbish so that I might gain Christ. There's perspective there, right? Paul's looking at everything that he ever has and earlier in this chapter and in this book, he explains what he had to lose. He was the cream of the crop in Hebrew school. He was the man in the religious circles. People looked up to him. He knew it all. He had respect. And he gave up social status. 
and money and a future in the synagogue for Christ. And he said, all of that's rubbish. None of social status means anything. Money doesn't mean anything. Nothing means anything compared to Christ. See, earthly things aren't bad, but they're not the main thing, right? It's good that we have money to pay our bills. God blesses us so that we can have food on the table and that we can have clothes to wear. And these are, these are good things. What Paul is not saying is shuck off everything and runs through the streets naked preaching the gospel. Um, there may have been people in the Bible that did that, and it worked for them. It's a rare case, okay? So what, what he's saying is things aren't bad, but there needs to be perspective on things. Paul encourages disciples of Christ to be all in by recognizing, by recognizing that everything on earth pales in comparison to Christ. Everything on earth pales in comparison to Christ. There's a difference between the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of God. And if there is something that you hold on to as more valuable than Christ, then Paul, through the Holy Spirit, challenges you to put that item down. Put that status down. Put that, whatever it is, down. And don't let that hinder you from running this race. You are to count it all as rubbish so that you don't have extra weight around you. So that straining for the goal won't be more difficult if you have something pulling you another direction. We make New Year's resolutions and they are good. But we might need to spend more time or effort on kingdom resolve than on earthly resolutions. Paul doesn't say neglect the world. He doesn't say neglect its belongings or relationships. He says they are necessary and they are good. But he's saying that even the best things on earth look like rubbish when we stand in the presence of Christ and look upon his face. Everything that we have needs to be held in an open hand. Everything that we have needs to be held in an open hand. If it disappears tomorrow, it's okay. Because what do we have here? Christ. Everything we have, our house, our health, our wealth, our not wealth, um, our family, our relationships, it's all in an open hand. Because compared to Christ, they pale in comparison. And that's a really hard perspective to have because we love our family and we love our comfort and we love our homes. But Paul says, to be all in, you need to have a healthy perspective. We need to hold everything in an open hand and be content, as Paul would say, with everything or with nothing, and then cling to Christ. And beyond perspective, we need to be found, right? We sing the song Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Paul says this, be found in him. Don't have a righteousness of your own that comes from the law, which we've spent eight weeks talking about, but have righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, righteousness that comes from God. It depends on faith that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, that, that I might share in his suffering and become like him in his death. Do you guys ever pray that prayer? Do you guys ever pray, God, I want to know you and the power of your resurrection. I want to share in your suffering and I want to share... In you, like you died, I want to have the same fate. Is that a prayer you guys ever pray? That's an all-in kind of prayer, right? Stephen prayed that prayer, and he lived that out. Paul finishes, by any means possible, I would love to attain the resurrection of the dead. I will do whatever it costs me so that I can be all in for Christ. 
but it means being need to be found. To be found in Christ is to be spiritually united to him. To be found in Christ is to be, um, to be covered by him. To be um, not found guilty before God because Christ covers you with his very righteousness. It's knowing that you are saved through faith, which is a gift. It's not something that you do, but something you totally rely on Christ for. If you receive a gift, it's something beautiful that you get to open. We all got to experience that, I hope, at Christmas time. Christ does the same for us. He gives us our foundness, okay? He says, I have a box, and it's got your name on it, and it means you are now found. It means you now have my righteousness. It means that you are with me. It means that when you get to heaven's door and God looks at you, he will see me and my righteousness, The fancy term for this is imputed. It means that Christ's righteousness is literally laid atop of you so that God looks at you and sees Jesus' perfect record. To be found in him is a very good thing. That your hearts and passion, though, is not just to be saved and to be found, which is really good. But Paul says that part of being found is that you want to know Christ. It's not just enough that you get saved, right? It's that you want to have relationship with the person that found you, the God-man of Christ. You want to know his personality, his passions, his will, his desires. Like you know your spouse, like you know your friends. Any of you have someone in your life, you can kind of complete their sentence. You know what they're thinking when they're starting off in a certain vein of thought. Anybody? Am I the only one? Okay, now I feel weird. Thank you for that. Um, but you get to know people over a course of time, and you get to know what their preferences are. You get to know their favorite cookie. You get to know what movies they like to watch and don't watch. You get to know the type of music they listen to, whether they like hot weather or cold weather, whether they like spicy food or not spicy food. And that's really easy when you're living in the same house with someone or you see someone every day. But Christ says, listen, I found you, which means you are now with me, and I want you to know the same things about me. I want you to know what I like and don't like. I want you to know what I'm passionate about because I want my passions to be your passions. To be found and to know Christ. And ultimately being found in him and knowing him means that you would choose to be all in for him Because when you are found in Christ, scriptures say that he comes to live within you, right? He was all in the flesh when he came to earth. Now he's all on the throne, but he lives all inside of you. I pray for my daughter every night, put my hand on her chest, and I say, Lord, would you give her the special gift of the Holy Spirit in her heart so that she knows you and loves you and follows you all the days of her life? That's how I pray for my daughter every night because I want the Holy Spirit to live in her. I want Christ to be in her from now and forever. And that's the way it is with those who believe in Christ, those who are found in him, those who know him. Christ lives in you. The fullness of God lives in you. So you can know Christ. You are filled up with the fullness of him, which means you can walk like him, talk like him, live and die like Christ. You can be all in because he purchased you away from sin and suffering and put you into a new kingdom. To be all in, you need to strain forward. You can't just lean backwards and let it happen. You need to strain forward. 
Paul says, not that I've already obtained this or that I'm already perfect, but I press onward to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Why do we strain forward? Why do we press into this life when it gets hard? Why are we all in? Because Christ has made you his. He has bought you with a great price. You belong to the kingdom of God, citizen of heaven. You don't have the luxury of sitting back and letting life pass you by. You belong to a king who has a purpose for your life. Paul says the all-in life is one of striving. We are not perfect, but we believe through faith that through Christ we can attain perfection. Christ himself said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. If he said it, it must be true. Therefore, we strive for that. He set the goal for us. Paul says we are to look at the goal not with hopelessness that we might do if we listen to the voice of the devil that says, oh, you're not perfect. Oh, you failed. Oh, God could never use you. But we are to look at the goal of perfection with hope and joy because we can attain it. The day that we breathe our last breath here and our first breath in heaven, we will attain this goal in its glory. We will get our glorified body. We will see Christ face to face. And we will experience this upward um, call, this prize in Christ Jesus that Paul talks about. But until that day, long or short as it may be from here, we are called to be all in, to press onward to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. He cautions us to stay focused on Christ and to pursue him continually, rejecting the flesh, pursuing the spirit, rejecting the flesh, pursuing the spirit. That's what it means to strive. It means to look at every situation, every moment, every choice, every word, every conversation and go, there's two options here. I can strive to be all in for the gospel. Whatever that means, whether it's socially awkward, if I share the gospel and my friend never speaks to me again, or if I choose to go to a foreign nation and risk my life, whatever it is, do I do it or do I not do it? Am I all in or am I not all in? The Nazarene Church, we believe in sanctification. It's a word that means we believe, in addition to the work of grace that God does in our life when he saves us, we believe he does a second work of grace in our life, which enables us, um, sanctifies us for his purpose, which is this striving to become perfect in him. That when we are sanctified, we believe he gives us the ability to choose the spirit over the flesh. This is a really good thing that God gives us the ability, the strength to see very clearly flesh and spirit and go, that's the direction I'm going. And when we get to heaven, this will be made perfect in us. But in order to do this, in order to live this life of all in, you can't do it alone, right? If you're all in by yourself, you're going to give up. Trying to stay in shape for me this coming year, I had to find people who wanted the same goal. And I told them, this is what I want to do. Will you make sure that I follow through with this? So I've got three people that are going to text me or email me or call me or FaceTime me once a week for the coming year to ask me the hard questions. Hey, you eating healthy? You working out? You exercising? And I'm going to hate those phone calls. But without them, what would happen two months from now? Yeah, I'd be eating cookies and sitting on my couch and not being productive. I need community. We need community. To be all in, we need community. 
verses 15 through 17. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eye on those who walk according to the example you have in all of us. First of all, let me handle verse 15 because I think it's funny. Paul's funny. He says things that are humorous. And if you read over scriptures, you might glance right over the humor here. Because Paul says this in 12 through 14. Listen, we're not perfect yet. Paul's saying, I'm not even perfect yet. We're not perfect. We're not mature yet. And then in verse 15, but if you think you're mature, God will show you the areas you're not mature. And then you'll realize you're not mature. But there's maturity in realizing where you're not mature. So there's this cycle here. I just think that's funny when he says, if any of you think you're mature, God will show you where you're not. And then you'll rely on him to be a little more mature next time, a little more humble. I think that's good. I think that's Paul speaking from his prideful life, being humbled by Christ, and now living a life all in. But then he says this, some practical things about looking to the people who walk according to the example. Paul is practical. He realizes that we need people. He realizes he was a work in progress. Even though he was all in, even though he was striving 100%, even though he was following Christ, he still realized he was a work in progress. We are a work in progress. I would be a horrible pastor if I got up and said, y'all are perfect people, shining examples of wonderfulness. I'd also be a terrible pastor if I got up here and gave the impression that I was perfect, that I was a shining example that everyone should follow. We're not perfect, but we're all in, and we're striving for perfection. And when we fail, we turn to God and we say, Thank you for forgiving me. Please encourage me and enable me to do better next time. We're works in progress, and that's okay. But one of the best ways to stay the course, one of the best ways to be all in and not fall off the truck here is to live in community, is to embrace fellowship, accountability, and discipleship. And those are really important words. You can be all in, and you can have community of people that you like and hang out with. But if they're not giving you accountability, then you just have friendship, not accountable fellowship in the spirit. And there's a difference. You need people in your life who will say, I saw what you did and it wasn't great. And I love you and God loves you. But that part of your life needs to be brought under Christ. We need people to tell us the hard things, right? We need someone to speak directly into our lives, know the nitty gritty about our lives and call us to account for it. We also need discipleship. We need to be in community when we live together and study the word of God together. Because studying the word of God will reveal things about our lives to us. Right? You can't look at the face of God and study his word and go, hmm, that doesn't match what I'm doing. I probably need to to work on that a little bit more. I should probably tell my accountability partner that so they can help me be accountable. I should probably hang out with Christian people Um, regularly so that I can see what good example is like. Paul tells us to stay the course, to be all in so that we don't fall out of the race through intention or accident. We need someone to be accountable to, someone to follow after. And ultimately, yes, we follow after Christ, but we need people who are more mature than us to pull us along sometimes, right? We have to have community. And so we need to start. Um, Massive list of things. This is not all-inclusive. 
But as you make New Year's resolutions, you need to put all in at the top. And you need to figure out some ways to work this out on a daily basis. And here are some practical ways that might work for you, right? This is just a list. You might have some more, which is great. I'd love to hear them. But spending time in the Word. How can you be all in? How can you be found in God and know God if you are not reading His Word regularly? This must be a priority for Christ-following Christians. Also, prayer time, regular. You need, to, you need to spend time talking to God. Husbands and wives, if you never spoke to one another in your entire marriage, how good would your marriage be? Would you even really have a marriage? You might could function, but it wouldn't be how God designed it. We need to talk with God. We need to talk to him, spill our heart out to him, and then we need to be quiet for a while. We need to listen to what he has to say to us. We could probably join a community group. If you're not in a community group, a small group of people that gather together and share meals and study the word and pray for one another and meet each other's needs, that's a really good place to start. A small group of people that you can be completely transparent with, that can keep you accountable, that can pray for you and with you, and you can do the same. How about showing up on Sundays faithfully? This is a really good one. Come together, corporate worship. This is something that the Bible says we should do. Gather together to take corporate worship, to praise God together, to pray for one another, to pray for the world, to hear the word, to receive communion. These are things that we do together. What about tithing faithfully and sacrificially and joyfully to the kingdom work of the church? Um, What about serving in the church? This could be part of your all-in. Serve in the church and in the community. What about finding someone who is further down the road than you in the faith and meet with them regularly, one-on-one, submitting to their wisdom and their advice and their counsel on your life? Women with women, men with men. Do not find someone who is opposite. Okay? And accountability, women have women partners, men have men partners. You need to find someone who is more mature than you in the faith, who can pull you up by the bootstraps when you need it, speak lovingly and honestly into your life, and encourage you to continually be all in. Likewise, you are ahead of the faith than someone that you know, right? There is someone that you know that is a little bit behind you in their walk. Just as you need someone ahead of you, you need someone behind you. If you do not have someone ahead of you or someone behind you, those are very important steps for you to take this week. Find, pray, seek someone that you can pour into. They might, they might even be a non-believer. You might work with a non-believer. And you go, I'm just going to start loving on this person. We're not going to like sit down for a Bible study right away. They wouldn't care for that. But I can start pouring into their lives. They can start learning to trust me so that when I do speak gospel truth into them, they trust what I say. Um, You could also be prepared to give an answer for your faith. If someone stopped you on the street and said, I'm not quite sure about this Jesus thing, why do you believe? How do you know that Jesus saves you? How do you know there's not more gods? You need to be prepared to give an answer, to share your testimony, to quote scripture. These are things that scripture says we need to be able to do. If you are not prepared to give an answer for your faith, either in confidence level or in knowledge level, there's a way you can be all in this year. What about inviting people to church? 
be all in by invite some people. You can also ask God for more faith. Here's a way to be all in. Lord, help my unbelief. Sometimes there's just times, right, where we just struggle with it and we're not sure what's going on in our lives and we need more faith. And it is okay and good and right to ask God to give you more faith. Sometimes you need to ask God for a fresh filling from the Spirit. You're just in desert. You love God, but, man, it's dry, and you need a little refreshing. God will open up streams. just need to ask. What about asking God to provide opportunities to share the gospel? Lord, would you, would you open the opportunity for me to speak the gospel into someone's life? Like, not only would it be good for them, but it would encourage your faith as well. What about asking God to open your eyes to those around you, to the suffering and the pain that people are going through, to the joys and the triumphs that people are going through, that you might be aware of them, and because of that, build relationships and community with the people that you see regularly? What about asking God to sanctify you? We ask God, Lord, save me from my sins. The day we get saved, we pray a prayer, we speak in our hearts to God. Say, Lord, I need you. Save me. But do you pray the prayer that says, Lord, sanctify me. Give me that second grace. Fill me up again so that I can choose the spirit more than the flesh, so that I can be all in, Lord. And maybe if you haven't asked God to save you, maybe that's where you start. Maybe that's where you say, Lord, I... I, th- I thought I followed you. I-, I thought that I'm a believer, but I think I realize maybe I'm not. Maybe I haven't put my trust in you, and maybe that's where I need to be all in today. I need you, Christ. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you need to open your home to someone regularly. Invite your neighbors over. Babysit their kids so they can have a date night. Open your home to strangers. Being all in is what Christians are called to be. We have the promise that we have citizenship in heaven and that our bodies and lives will be transformed one day to be like him. I want that goal. I strive for that goal. I want to be all in. Do you guys want to be all in this year? Is this something that you really desperately want? We're going to do something unconventional before we worship the end of the service. We're going to pray. But I would say this. If you want to be all in, And I don't know how you want to be all in. Only you and the Spirit know that. But if you want to be all in, would you stand up and come forward? I'm going to come and stand down here. This isn't an emotional plea. This is just a, yeah, this is what I want to do this year. This is the way I want to live. I want to be all in. We're going to come down to the front. We're just going to pray together as a community with arms around one another saying, we resolve to be all in for the community this year. We're going to be all in for Christ. We're going to serve our community. We're going to love people. We're going to do what God asks us to do. So if that's you, come on down. We're just going to pray, and we're going to um, ask God to, to bless us, to encourage us this year, to strengthen us uh, for his kingdom's purpose. And don't be shy. Stick your arms around people. And And we're a community of believers, so it doesn't just have to be me um, that prays, right? Um, But I would say this. I'm going to open, and as the Lord leads you, what's on your heart? Would you pray? And uh, as we're ready to close, and sense the Spirit move, then I'll close us in prayer, and we'll worship. Father, today we stand before you as a congregation, as a people that are united in your blood. And Lord, 
this isn't an emotional time. We're making a conscious choice. We're saying, Father, we've looked at Scripture. We know what you've done in our lives, and we want to be all in for you. Lord, would you hear the prayers of your people this morning as we say, we are all in, Father. That's your power, folks. It's not you, but it's Christ in you. Christ all in you. Which means if Christ is all in you, you can go be all in Christ for the world. Amen? Go live all in. You are dismissed.